You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. I just came from recording um, a live uh, role-playing game. Like, we're trying to create a story, but the idea was, let's play this game, like, off of a manual uh, and work out the story and then see if there's something to that that we can then... uh, um, like actually act out and give a little bit more substance to, huh. um, which like I don't, as I woke up this morning, I was also starting to feel like a little bit of a drag of that of, you know, I was like, Oh man. Yeah. So I was trying to just think of it. I was like, Oh, okay. I've never, uh, uh, role played before in my yeah. life. So opportunity for a brand new experience. I'm trying to be in that mindset more often yes. these days. Yes. It's all mindset. Yeah. It's all there is. Yeah. So, you know, whatever mindset, I'm in is what the thing turns to be. Yeah. 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 For better, for worse. I um, read something about uh, uh, the loving gaze, right? Um, uh, And the idea that this guy, I forget who wrote it, but what he was saying was that when you look at someone through a loving gaze, Mm. not only do you end up seeing the best parts of them, Mm -hmm. but the best parts of that person actually end up kind of blossoming. Yeah. Uh, you actually bring out more of it. And yeah. the opposite of that also being true, that when you're looking for tension, you have a tendency to also create that. And I, yeah. I, I buy that for I sure. I do too. That's one of the hallmarks, I think, of a really good teacher is um, that love and gaze thing of, of mm. see the best in your students and it actually starts to come up to the surface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think so. It's one of my favorite things I think about teaching, but also about just interacting with human beings in general. It's yeah. like, where is the, um, where is the thing that I love about you? Yeah. And sometimes it takes several layers. Yeah. I've, uh, had a fair amount of experience in, you know, essentially personal development workshops, which, uh, especially I hang out a lot at Esalen and Big Sur, California. And, it's akin to being in some version of group therapy in different modalities, right? So you can go in through dance, you can go in through, you know, traditional therapies or gestalt therapy, or but you spend a week with a really tight group of people. Mm-hmm. Well, you spend a week really tightly with a group of people. And it's so interesting to me to my natural propensity is that within, you know, the first hour I've, fallen in love with you know i've I've become i've i've enjoyed or found a way to adore 78 percent of the people Mm -hmm. and then gradually maybe that next day i pick i'm up to like 82 percent and sometimes it's day three and there's one person that's still bugging me they're still annoying me i'm not sure why i haven't found a way to like them yet Mm. and then they'll reveal something about themselves or i'll see them in a different Light, but it's really mostly them sharing something uh, about them that cracks that code for me. Where yeah. all of a sudden, I'm like, I drop in. I'm like, I get it. I see you. I found my way into, yeah. you know, loving you, to, to feeling connected to you, yeah. to being on your side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're listening to the Magna Podcast. I'm Lewis Kornfeld. And today we are talking with just the absolutely delightful Rachel Hamilton. Thanks for Hi. talking, Rachel. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, um, uh, so just sort of continuing with this thread for a second, like there's something so beautiful in just letting, in getting the chance to see somebody and letting somebody see you, mm. you know, uh, um, uh, 
because by like really giving that opportunity, like I think of the subway where like you kind of take an interest in someone, but you don't want to look for more than two seconds because mm-hmm. it, it's a violation of personal space, mm-hmm. but you kind of can't help where natural interest is. And when someone gives you that permission to like really look and really see, and, mm-hmm. you know, and that's like the first fact in an improv class is that we're up there and we're seeing each other. It lets you fall in love with that person. Mm-hmm. It, it, it lets you kind of see into them a little bit, which is, I, I think the foundation for just really fabulous work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love how day one of an improv class, you know, I come into the room and everyone for the most part is quiet, Yeah, you know, or maybe one or two people who've known each other before. Uh, but if it's a blank slate and they haven't known each other before, it's, it's, there might be tiny moments of negotiations about where's the bathroom or what time is our break or, but there's this protected, um, what, what Patsy Rotenberg calls first circle energy, which is inward. You know, that's, that's New York subway energy for the most part, you know, inward, some version of closed and protected and, uh, and it's an energy that is neither, you know, there's no moral weight to it. it mm-hmm. It's, we all need it at points. Uh, but that's, that's what happens uh, before class starts day one. And then by break, you know, people are, are chatting a little bit. Yeah. And then by the end, there's more kind of uh, movement and sharing. And then, you know, by, by week two, I come in and already people are in a mix of knowing and being known and, and connecting. And then by, you know, week four, everyone's, really in love with each other and besties. And, you know, by week eight, everyone's uh, started dating. Like it's such an incredible process to watch that opening of, of seeing and being seen and what it does to humans and how we show up or we don't. I love that moment where I have to shush people from connecting after a break. Cause it's like, all right guys, I know you guys are super curious about each other and, want to share what's going on with you and want to, you know, want to be with each other in, in uh, all these great interactive ways. But we got to, you know, I got to tell you about another exercise, but that moment I'm like, Oh, we're doing it. That's, that's a huge part of it is that, that, you know, we, we can't improvise well without that fabric of uh, the social dynamic of the class or the group or the ensemble being connected and, and fluid and, and everyone, I mean, it, Improv has this incredible inclusive quality that is uh, special to it that I don't know that I've, uh, I mean, I would say that Esalen, that uh, workshop spot I mentioned before too, has a an orientation where it's, its job is to include and support and, and find ways to make everyone matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, yeah, and, and that's where the best work comes from and that's a huge part of what, keeps me completely devoted to this art form yeah what so uh um you're a master teacher you're one of the best teachers around i want to get into that in in a little bit Mm -hmm. when you're running a a class generally speaking what are you looking for where is your attention in that class what what uh what to you means a job well done on everybody's part Mm. wow that's a great question um and it has shifted yeah and I'm aware now, uh, you know, keep staying current with my own teaching and my own uh, answer to that question. Uh, and so having just come back from Camp Magnet uh, and getting to work uh, with five different groups 
right in a row and also bringing so bringing my own um you know two hour piece of this is what's up for me right now as an improv teacher and getting to see it on all these different backgrounds um the backgrounds being these particular ensembles these these classes uh for me it's really simple right now it's really are we successfully bringing our authentic selves into the room and um, allowing ourselves to uh, give and take with another authentic self um, and, and be open to whatever happens. So, so it's one person getting present with themselves, landing in the moment and being in truthful, authentic response to another person. Uh, so it's the dance of two people doing that at once that feels like the essence of um, everything else we do. Mm-hmm. So um, I love clever. That word always bugs me. I'm not going to say that word. I love um, creative um, uh, game moves or interesting forms or uh, uh, cool structure or uh, thoughtful callbacks. You know, I, I love all of that stuff. And what matters most to me is that that truthful presence with the story of you know behaving truthfully under whatever the imaginary circumstances are that we're creating. So even if I'm playing someone very different energetically than me, right, what you might call a character, that that character that I've discovered myself to be uh, is fully present to whatever is being uh, offered to me from my partner and mm-hmm. whatever character energy they have found themselves to be in. So it's, I guess the answer to your question is um, what am I shooting for? Or what, what feels like success is being able to show up and respond. Yeah. And then what I'm working on too, is this idea of how many ways, how many flavors do we have at our disposal with which to respond? Mm-hmm. Right. In other words, uh, if I am this, um, if my job and my mission is to behave truthfully, then I want to have access to every behavior there is and not just the ones that I, Rachel, or, you know, uh, improviser person uh, is um, really good at mm-hmm. in kind of my, you know, default life. Yeah. So uh, where else can I go? You know, so so for me, it's about, reclaiming reopening into our vast expressive range so that i can inhabit all of that territory that's interesting is it do you do you practice that deliberately when you're playing you go looking for the uncomfortable choices or the things that that uh, how do you keep it stimulating for yourself you've been improvising Mm. for a long time how do you Mm. keep it i mean I, i how do you keep it stimulating for yourself well i wouldn't say that i um I go hunting for the uncomfortable. I would say that... I, let me right. say, I don't mean uh, to make other people uncomfortable. I mean right. something that is outside of your right. range of kind of everyday behaviors. Right. It's more that um, that is a practice outside of... Um, like, I, 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 I definitely tried it, but with my classes, I'm now uh, warming up a lot into emotional range. So mm-hmm. we're, it, you know... Uh, I've gotten really into just playing deep past the face, mm-hmm. 
not for five minutes, not for 10 minutes, sometimes for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is physically, emotionally, the gift of uh, past the face, essentially being in a circle where, you know, uh, we're each moving an energy and a sound and kind of an expressive quality along so that, so that I feel like it's like spring cleaning of my emotional expressive content Mm -hmm. so that while, you know, the difference between how it is that we, I am uh, the governor that I have on my, my behavior, you know, in the default world, because I want to remain professional or I want to remain, Together, I want to remain fine, okay. You know, that, that I, don't, I don't allow myself to go to these uh, reactive places that are these, not necessarily big, but, but specific, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to think of all of these as, as, as snowflakes. I mean, these are incredibly specific um, emotional places. So, so to basically warm up into... The re- you know the, re- the the all the remaining space that I don't take up mm-hmm. most of my days in the default world, so that it's like it's like I'm playing baseball with my um you know we're on the same team but I'm playing baseball with my uh, partner and I want it wherever they hit the ball I want to be able to cover center field mm-hmm. and shortstop mm-hmm. and first base and catcher mm-hmm. you know that I can be wherever you need me to be based on whatever it is that you've said and what that has triggered in me so that that particular flavor of your initiation that brought me to this. And this is where words are, you know, uh, very um, limiting to me, but uh, I find myself in a spot where I'm, uh, I want to impress you, but at the same time, I'm, I'm a little angry at you. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of defensive and, you know, sprinkling a little bit of show offiness plus, um, you know, that, that I can go to that place and not, not stop myself because a I'm uncomfortable there or b you know uh that's not a place I go to in the default world mm-hmm. it's like um it's it's um wanting to be able to to inhabit every flavor of humanity yeah yeah is that something that um that you're deliberately thinking when you're playing? Like, are you able to articulate for yourself emotional states or is it just sensations? Uh, uh, because the way that I interpret it is, is you need to be able to follow where you're led. If someone uh, um, uh, uh, moves you, you need to be able to roll with that movement. And a lot of times where it feels difficult or where it looks kind of bad is when you just see people kind of locked and frozen and mm-hmm. immovable. Mm-hmm. Where the simplest thing, uh, this has been big on my mind a lot recently. If someone says, sit down or come over here, just come over there. Mm-hmm. Just let it happen. Mm-hmm. Do what is asked of you. Mm. Uh, um, and I find that that for me, uh, where I get stuck a lot is where I'm doing a lot of sort of verbal or mental processing about mm. the scene. Mm. But then there are other scenes that just kind of click and feel right. So so it, one of the things that makes you such a fantastic performer is um, there's so many layers and subtleties to your acting. You, you really, I mean, you, you're full and three-dimensional all the time. Are you verbalizing to yourself that stuff or are you just actually feeling it i'm not really i'm not verbalizing it to myself yeah what i've discovered lately is that uh the the place that i go or that i want to go uh that is most 
um, beneficial to me um, and that I go more and more is really just jumping into those circumstances mm-hmm. so that it's um, I'm fully engaged in the story. So you're the boss who's shaming me and I'm, you know, uh, feeling deeply shamed and uh, super terrified of what I'm going to do next because uh, you may fire me. And if I'm fully in that story of, you know, being with you, my boss, in the shame and the, and the concern of what I'm going to do next, then I don't have anywhere else to be. Yeah. You know, that it's very, um, it's incredibly present tense um, making for me. That, yeah. that, that I don't really have space to go into the intellectual part of my brain that is saying, okay, wow, you're, you're in a real shame place right now. What else does shame look like? Or how else do I... Um, there can be, you know, it's, uh, the, the, the brain machine, the sort of data recorder, occasionally I'll get a glimpse of like, uh, oh, you're going there. Or, uh, I remember recently I was doing a show with Rosowski and we're doing this physical move where he just, we, we we're just yes. Anding this sort of broad physical, um, mirroring move where we're both moving to the ground. And part of my thought was, you know, I was having this thought of like, I wonder what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know? So that popped in of like, um, this is interesting territory. I'm not sure where this is going, but it didn't get to, okay, what's happening now is I'm going to justify this, right. that we're going to, you know, uh, roll around on the floor and wrestle and then I'm going to get up and leave. Like right. it doesn't, um, and, that, and so for me, the, the emotional river of what's happening is what I'm connecting with. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I mean about being able to inhabit all those different places is that I don't want to have any hiccups where, uh, you know, some, I, I witness this in students often where there's a place that they won't go. Mm-hmm. They can't let themselves get, you know, uh, oh, I, I, they can't let themselves get, you know, uh, sexy on stage or, or, and then there are others who can't let themselves not get sexy mm-hmm. on stage or there are those who angers are really, like what? What if I find a way to be angry at you in every scene, or get blame you for every scene, you know, and some, for something in every scene, make you wrong, uh, you know, school you, but but the the edge of leaning into something where uh, someone's not wrong, like allowing allowing someone to every move they make is uh, you know the, the person who supports every move they make. So so it's wherever you know we we see those edges as teachers all the time. And then also I see them in myself of like, what feels sticky? What feels, what feels uncomfortable to go to? And then trying to loosen that up mm-hmm. so that wherever that story takes me, I can go there. Yeah. You have a really nice way in class of, of leading people to, to do what they don't normally do without mm. making them feel put on the spot. Mm. Sometimes you'll be in class where a teacher will want to work on like what your weaknesses are, which I always mm. think is, a, is a, uh, a murky way to define your approach to a class. I don't like to think in terms of people's weaknesses at mm-hmm, all. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times when that happens, I feel myself really put on the spot and, and starting to, to I clamp up and I become tense, which is the mm-hmm. exact opposite of where you want to be. Yeah. You still, to me, like one of the highlights that I can think back on ever improvising is in your class of, of putting me into a scene that was outside of my normal range and just feeling really good about it and not feeling like, like you're 
being pushed into a stretch that's too hard for you, mm. you're really, really good at making people feel comfortable and making it feel like they already have it in them. They mm. just need to kind of... Mm open the door a little bit. Mm -hmm. how, how, how do you achieve that? Because I think that it, it, going back to like, you, you're also really great at letting people bring their own authenticity to what they're doing. I think that's what I like about it, that you can have someone play the sexy character or play the angry character when it's outside of their wheelhouse and still you lead them to it in a way where they still feel like they're being authentic right. and not like they're pretending to be this thing that feels just like shit to yeah, them. Yeah. So what is your approach to, to get that from people? Or is it something that you even think about that consciously? Sorry, that's like nine questions. Yeah. Um, I do think I think about it consciously. For me now, uh, improv is essentially life school. Mm-hmm. So the idea that, you know, this idea of, of may we, I really want people to allow themselves to uh, uh, embody their whole selves on stage and off. Mm -hmm. So it feels like I'm not asking people to stretch because there's not enough of them already or because they're doing something wrong or because um, it, it feels really like what else is in there? Mm -hmm. You know, it, I feel, I feel um, like we're born with the, all these brilliant, beautiful human capacities and zones of, of who and how we are, you know, that we're this full, gorgeous expression of whatever you want to call it. We're just this, uh, uh, we're, and we all start that way. And then we shut down parts of ourselves mm. to, you know, based on what keeps us safe in the world as children and uh, how it is that we're getting love from our parents and our natural, um, you know, energetic style or energy and all these ways in which uh, we get what I call scrunched, you know, into this story that this is all there is. Mm -hmm. And I really, uh, in the world, I really uh, cringe and feel sad about, um, like nothing makes me sadder than when, that's not true. I have to remember Rwanda. But <laughs> it makes me sad when I hear these really um, hard and fast and watertight assessments of, oh, I can't sing. Mm -hmm. Oh God, I can't sing. No, I can't sing a note. Or when people linger on the side of it dance floor because they've stopped giving themselves permission to dance because they're doing it wrong mm -hmm. according to some story that they're holding. And so all of that holding of uh, what I consider just bullshit around who I am not, I, I love to use improv as a, as a reawakening and unscrunching of let's, let's reawaken to, you know, who is your, like, what does your sexy look like? Because I know you got it. What does your vulnerability around, you know, uh, this particular uh, vulnerability is such a, a broad topic that, or range that to, to you know, what, what else, who, who else you got in there? And so allowing all of that to come out, not as a, um, not as a, a scold of your, of your, not enough, but like how great to let some of that out. Yeah. And, and one of the beautiful things about 
improv is that we're working in a group and the, and the amazing um, permission. It's con- like we're constantly, I love that, you know, people top out at sort of one level of commitment and then uh, a member of their ensemble uh, brings another level of commitment into the room and everyone's commitment level rises. Mm-hmm. And so we're all just feeding on this um, permission of, hey, I'm willing to be this human and exposed. Yeah. So one way that I think I allow that to, what, what, what allows people to feel okay about expanding is, you know, into more of themselves is setting it up so that everybody's doing it. You know, and that, and that, how satisfying it is to see that. You know, we've known uh, Debbie, the improviser, and then all of a sudden she shows us another part of herself, and we're delighted and thrilled, and it's so exciting, and we're so grateful, and it's such a lovely human exchange that that uh, we're all in the celebration of that. So it creates a, you know, Martin Demott, one of my uh, improv teacher mentors. Uh, he said, you're the host of a party, mm-hmm. you know? So, so as a teacher, remember that, that you're a host. Mm-hmm. So it's really like, what do I want to bring to the party? If, and if, and if, if I'm creating an environment of this is a, uh, romp in the exploration of, of zones of ourselves that feel untested or unapproached, even these kind of ignored, like, what if the pretty girl all of a sudden can play someone who's unattractive? Or mm-hmm. what if the super, super nice, heartfelt, loving guy can play a guy who has a much, you know, angrier or, um, you know, uh, it, w- let me see his mean. And so, and so if we're all doing that, then it's this, it's the water and we're all diving in. And it feels really natural. Yeah. It's amazing the the story that you hold on to. I love that way of phrasing it too. It's just perfect. That story that you that you get that you hold on to about about what you can and can't do. It's interesting how like that's given to you socially. That's given to you by other people and other people's judgments and and other people's limitations of you over the years. And it's so interesting how when you're with a good ensemble or you're with a good class, it's taken away by the people around you too, that when you replace that thing of other people, when you replace other people shaming you into being the smallest amount that you can be so that you don't stand out. Mm. uh, um, When you replace that with people instead giving you the warmest encouragement to Mm -hmm. take the little that you have and really kind of celebrate it and Mm -hmm. love it and enjoy it. You expand, you you know, like, yeah, I, I have a, uh, I've been talking in class a lot recently about how it's really like junior high school and high school that you kind of cement your adult personality in junior high school and high school. You don't want to be the person who's being laughed at because the laughter of that group of people means that you're being pointed to as the example of how not to be. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the, so your, your objective at that phase of your life is don't stand out. Mm hmm. Don't call attention to yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's this process where really you're just kind of learning how to cope with conformity. Mm -hmm. And that crystallizes as your sort of like everyday outside world behavior, Mm -hmm. which I think is like, that makes sense at that stage of life. But for me, at least, so many people then 
it's like you enter that room and you put on that costume and they never leave that room. Mm-hmm. It's They stop there. Mm-hmm. And improv to me sort of feels like it shows you the door out of that where now that becomes, okay, you learned how to conform and fit in and you need it. Yeah. But you'll learn that it's one costume among many other costumes. Mm-hmm. And again, it's going through, it's almost the reverse direction. It's the power of these group of people that you're with that starts to kind of dissolve that away mm-hmm. and bring you back to a place where, where you can be more flexible again. You don't Absolutely. have to be so tight and rigid. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hear you that it is, a, it is a, you know, it's a, it's a give that we are told who we are and who we're allowed to be by the stories of other people and the, and the shaming, you know, as a kid. And I would say even super duper earlier, mm-hmm. you know, so, I mean, I'll say for myself that, um, you know, I think I learned to be really, really nice really early because my family dynamic needed that. Yeah, right. You know, that that's, there were already, you know, uh, two people taking up the high maintenance roles. So I, you know, my way of surviving in my own family, I'm, I'm deep into psychology. I, 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 I love thinking about um, what makes human beings tick, yeah. which I think is another thing, you know, to your question of what keeps me interested in this yeah. is... Uh, is that is it? We're really. It's like, what are we doing as improvisers? We are embodying different versions of human behavior yeah. in front of an audience. Isn't it great to just watch other people? Oh my god! With it's like the audience is it's it's sanctioned uh, people watching. Yeah, which I always get busted for being you know full on stare when right. I think I'm being stealth about right. people watching. There's nothing more fascinating to me than watching human beings interact. Yeah. So the more various ways I can do that, you know, it not only is super fun. It's like, what if I try on this? What if I were like this? Uh, it also, I, I think of improv as, you know, empathy school. Yeah. It's really, if I embody this particular lens, then all of these uh, different worldviews that are very different than Rachel's, but um, I've climbed into this person for whom, you know, uh, owning 10 guns and being really angry at uh, uh, women scantily clad or whatever, whatever point of view I discover as that person, all of a sudden from that logic, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like I can climb into that person's shoes. Okay. I've just digressed. I have to find my way back. Um, but that idea of starting earlier, that idea of it all starts very early to right. me. Yeah. So, so, Wherever it is, um, it is this. It is also a take at some point. It's mm-hmm. like, what am I willing to be told about who I am, mm-hmm. and how am I willing to be impacted by that? Right. And I think that many, many environments continue to calcify our stories of smallness and um, limitedness. And improv is this gorgeous experience. I think in you know. Uh, uh, improv can be this gorgeous experience of uh, finding what's outside of that small story mm-hmm. uh, and and transforms um, the way I walk the world as far as what I'm willing to take on, no matter what you call me. Yeah. No matter who you, you know, it, I, I'm sure uh, with, uh, you know, a lot of artists, improvisers, who the kind of broader version of themselves they become, the more the people in their lives who who want them to stay small or stay limited or get confused or, uh, you know, 
in my own family whom I adore, and yet I'm very much the purple sheep in my own family. And, you know, when I order a soy latte, it's like I've gone off the rails, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm doing things differently. So, so the other thing that I find improv, you know, it's empathy school and it's courage school. Mm-hmm. And part, a huge part of that courage is the courage to be who we are outside of the limited version of who we thought we were. Yeah. So, what I love is is the way improv lights people up. You know, there's that quote, I never f- remember who it is, but that idea of, um, and I'm also going to butcher, butcher it, but that notion of uh, stop trying to be what you think you should be because be whatever lights you up because what the world needs is people who are lit up. Mm-hmm. And improv lights people up. Yeah. And, and it's way beyond whether or not you're, you know, good or on a uh, hot team or have aspirations of being on television with your improv, that's where it just becomes deeply universal of we're all standing in our own humanity and exploring uh, what else is possible. Even if I'm, you know, not a, not a great improviser in terms of my performance skills. I love people who maybe are not the best improvisers yet but have a great sense of humor about that. Mm. It, it, there's something so delightful about being around them where they're, they're lit up by the experience mm-hmm. of doing it that mm-hmm. you actually don't even mind so much that technically things aren't exactly... You, you're feeding off of that energy. Mm-hmm. You can kind of tell the difference between the sort of poisonous room and the healthy room oh, yeah. based on how weighty you feel after it. Like you can still laugh your ass off at a show yeah. and walk away and feel heavier and tighter somehow oh interesting and yeah. there are other shows that you walk away from that you just feel kind of more it's like coming from a yoga class right you feel more sensations you right. feel more open you feel a little bit taller there's just a it, happiness isn't exactly the right word but yeah. but there's it something has been communicated to you on a very kind of unconscious level that just yeah. makes you feel here and yeah. with it and you know what I mean? They're, it's like raise the vibration. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I can say that, can say that now because I live on the West Coast. It's a beautiful uh, spirituality over on the West Coast. Uh, yes, but that idea of did this create more well-being? Right. Or did this, was this a sink? Right. Or a source? Right. Yeah. And uh, I get, I haven't seen it for a while, thank goodness, but I've certainly in my uh, improv teaching career encountered people who've come from place of improv places or teachers where they have been quite wounded. Yeah. Right. And that in pursuit of, um, you know, I think of like a, a black swan, like a ballot, we're going to crack your toes and whip you into shape and belittle you, you know, like the Bobby Knight school of coaching of mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm going to tell you how much you suck in order to, to lift you up. And that works for some people. Mm-hmm. But for those that doesn't, then they remem- they they remain a somewhat crumpled, you know that that the improv experience brought them more scrunched, yeah, more diminished, holding more, you know, um, difficulty in being who they are versus more comfort in it. I that, put the blame on that sometimes. There are teachers who I think uh, um, don't look at the person. They, you, some people, I think, and I'm, I'm probably in that category. I'm, I'm sure we all are from time to time. Mm. But um, you're not really looking at the individual people in the room and seeing their 
needs mm-hmm. and their capabilities right mm-hmm. now you just kind of have your image of like i'm, I'm doing yoga a lot these days so mm-hmm. i'm translating everything into yoga terms you have your image of the perfect yogi and so you're pushing people to bend their bodies in ways yeah. that fit your idea of the perfect yogi but yeah. you're actually cracking this person's spine yeah it, it, you know like it's just yeah. it's people who are not seeing what's actually unique in the room right now mm-hmm they sort of i think anyway you come in with a preconditioned idea of what it's supposed to be mm-hmm. and then you're trying to kind of mold everybody into what it's supposed to look like mm-hmm. like that's probably too broad you know i take that back. no i get that i get that and and to me it's also back to this idea of it's give and take that, yeah that no one can uh no one can bend us in ways that we're not willing to be bent right so uh I, I believe that there's a lot of I want I want people to take agency in who they allow to impact them, mm-hmm. right? So that an improv teacher is a very specific relationship, and if if your improv teacher is not if you're feeling uh, crunched and not expanded, or if you're you know to your uh, point about how you're leaving a show, if energetically week after week you're feeling downtrodden and demoralized. And discouraged, and not in a way that feels like it's juice to, you know, fight against. Right. Yeah. But then it's like you know what? That's not your. That's not your best improv teacher. Yeah. And and I think there is a lid for every pot. You know yeah. that. Um, I've certainly had in my acting training. I've certainly had uh, teachers. One specifically who was so like instantly. I was like, oh, you're damaging. Like mm-hmm. I feel damaged by you. Mm-hmm. And looking around the room and others were lit up about, you know, that mm-hmm. that particular style worked for them. So it's not, you know, I think this in general, uh, it's, it's, it's may we take more responsibility for who and what we're allowing to impact us. Yeah. Particularly as improvisers and artists, we're sensitive little beings. Yeah. And we're, you know, uh, we'll take it on. Yeah. We'll take it on. So maybe once my, once I do yoga for five years and I have a specific... Um, like I want to enter the handstand contest. Right. So I need the whip cracking handstand teacher yeah. who might take me through some spankings and some paces around um, very specific behavior. But but my foundation can hold yeah. those discouragements and I don't take them as universal or... Right. You know, yes. then, then maybe that whip cracking backstand or handstand teacher for that moment. Um, but yeah, the idea that that improv uh, could have a negative impact on someone's life. Yeah. Just makes me kind of sad. It's Yeah. I don't like I, that. It, it's that universal thing too, that I think gets in the way so often it, it, because you do kind of, you meet people along the way who are looking for the sort of unified field of improv. They're looking for the one note that ties together mm-hmm. every observation that mm-hmm. every disparate teacher has given to totally. them. Totally. And they also sort of feel like there's a universal standard of correct and incorrect and Mm -hmm. your job is to get as close as possible to that universal standard Mm -hmm. when in fact it's just not the way reality happens at all it 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 is kind of on a need-to-know basis a little bit reality comes at you and sometimes it comes at you much more than you need to know absolutely Uh, but it really is it's your time and your pace and your needs right now and you know i want to backtrack for a second and talk about martin demott um uh 
because I know that he was usually influential to a number of people who have been usually influential to me. And he's one of those guys who, outside of that Chicago generation, I think doesn't really get the credit. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's not a name to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little about Martin and, and, and talk a little bit about what was so special about him? He got mm-hmm. you, he encouraged you to become a teacher. Is that He did. Yeah. He did, which was a very simple and small gift. In other words, it, I, as I remember it, it was um, us having a brief conversation and him just throwing it out there. You know, uh, I think you should try teaching. I think you'd be good at it. And I was 25 at the time and I said, okay, you know, if Martin, it, it wasn't a big thought process and mm-hmm. it wasn't a big, here's why I think, you know, it, it just was this, it was like a suggestion in an improv scene, basically, like a little spark of something with which to run. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any, I don't know if it's because I was 25 or because I was so focused on, you know, my career at Second City and like, I was very showbiz oriented at that moment that teaching felt like this little sidecar of, oh, I can just start doing that and... Didn't feel um, like the stakes were all that high or that I didn't have much self-doubt about it for some mm-hmm. reason. So it was a little gift and um, Martin was very much um, present with me as I began teaching in the Second City system. There was a very specific curriculum. You know, we got a book of like, this is what level one looks like. Teach these exercises. So it wasn't so much about... Um, you know, I think what he saw in me was that I uh, like people uh, and that I communicate clearly. So I think, I don't, I don't know, making up what he saw in me, but at the, what, I, what I think un- allowed me to start teaching was just those two elements. Um, because it really was just do this. Now, having been in Martin's class and having been through... Uh, I think I was in like level five at the Second City Training Center. Is that true? No, I must have already been performing with the company when I started teaching. Uh, on main stage or with uh, touring, touring company? company. Yeah. It's this long, um, arduous, hierarchical system. So right. um, I think it might have been in the in the year that I rode the bench before I got into, you know, I was understudying for the touring company before. Somewhere in there I started teaching. And... Um, Having had a bunch of teachers at that point, Martin's style was just very much uh, something that I wanted to emulate. Mm-hmm. I, I call Martin the the beating heart of improv. I mean, it was re- he was all about it being uh, you know teaching from love, and I'm here to increase love in the world, and you know may you find your ensemble, and may you move through fear all toward. You know, certainly becoming a better improviser, but he early on was this foundation of like, it is not about, um, he didn't say this, but it's not about who's on main stage Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, how many laughs you're getting in that moment. It's about how well can you uh, take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And he just modeled that. I mean, he was the warmest guy ever, really loving, sweet, always approachable. He had a childlike quality. Yeah. He was probably mid-50s when I knew him. Um, really slender, uh, apparently almost entirely bald, but wore a toupee, and it was like this was pretty good one, I think. Uh, but he just looked kind of boyish. Um, and that childish, uh, childish, childlike um, openness mm-hmm. of 
the joy of spending three hours in a room with other people willing to play by these lovely guidelines of improv that are essentially the beautiful elements about like a, 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 a utopian version of what if we only listened and only supported and only yes and and what if I cared more about your welfare in this moment than I do about my own yeah. and what if I could be completely present to uh, the joy and the truth of all like it, it just um, all of that goodness another thing he told me was um, never start teaching never start class officially until everyone's laughing mm-hmm. so it's some version of you know we're here to play yeah what a what a great note oh yeah oh yeah so i would say um martin was a a, a mentor for me mostly by just being who he was mm-hmm. and really loving who he was and then opening this tiny door of saying hey you should teach and i mean he was absolutely right yeah. Uh, that teaching is a really, uh, it's it now now the whole showbiz um, context of improv uh, is not where my head or my heart is at all. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, uh, the, the the human arts of improv and the the opportunity to to speak this common language with all these amazing people because so many amazing people are drawn to improv uh and to play in this sandbox with all these other uh improvisers i mean that to me is the juice of it and to introduce people to the sandbox and hey you know here's how to here's how to get in here and i promise you this is good news whether whether or not you're you know uh main stage ready yeah in um uh there's a john gardner book called um on moral fiction, I think. Have you read that? On moral fiction? I'm maybe <laughs> getting the title wrong. Uh, uh, one of the things he says in the book, though, is that we read we read fiction in order to practice uh, uh, loving other people, mm-hmm. practice being in love by, oh, wow. by putting ourselves into other people's stories. Yeah. And uh, I, I find that that's something that I love so much about teaching classes is it's just like an opportunity to constantly fall in love with different things about different people. Mm-hmm it's like a really rewarding, like I feel more enriched by classes that I teach than I'm sure the students in my classes feel. Oh my feel, God. You know? Yeah. Often, often. I'm moved often. Yeah. And it's, you're, uh, yeah. you're constantly just stretching out that part of you that can feel, that can just like, just love other people and spot mm-hmm. what you love about other people. Know it. Mm-hmm. Not just sort of feel generally, I like you, I don't like you. Mm-hmm. But to really be able to to see for yourself, like this is just a beautiful thing, a beautiful, mm-hmm. your shyness is a beautiful kind of shyness. Totally. Your, your fake bullshit bravado shtick is quite lovely. When you start looking at fake bullshit bravado yeah. through a lens of loveliness rather than irritation, yeah. it actually becomes a delightful part of someone's personality yeah. rather than something that needs to be kind of whipped out of right them. right you know right. that's that change of perspective we were talking about before that i love so much of, yeah you just practice loving the people that you're with yeah and that that very thing in seventh grade that we were trying to kill yeah uh, is now what we're looking it's for. right it's like may we reclaim our weirdness right like find it celebrate it heighten it you know show it yeah. bring it out because yeah. uh that specificity that's what we want to see that's what we want to 
be with. I mean, that to me is improv is to some extent, you know, at the core of what I'm teaching is, or what I'm supporting is people relaxing into the truth of who they are. Yeah. Uh, And that, and that, that specialness, that, that weirdness, I mean, weird is good. You know, weird is, is what you're bringing to the party. Yeah. You know, if we had five improv robots who were all, you know, uh, excellent executors of the craft, it would not be nearly as interesting as five snowflakes of weirdness bringing their own, you know, what happens when I, when again, here comes language getting in the way, but when like shy, awkward, uh, particular shy, awkward with like a weird spoonful of arrogant in there, you know, improviser person meets, you know, really bombastic giant energy, you know, what, Patsy Rodenberg would call third circle energy, which is like fire hose energy of like, you know, fo- like a, they're, they're meeting a, um, uh, those people who just bring a tremendous amount of energy, but it's not very directed, you know? So what if those two people meet? So to, to somehow water t- down both of those people to some sort of sameness of let's all find our, the kind of central, uh, generic person that we're all trying to be is exactly not the point. Right. You know, and, and this is a living, breathing art form. So this idea of, uh, that weirdness, if developed and freed and celebrated and supported will create another branch on this tree of improv. So I am so aware now that when I say I improvise or when people say they do improv, it's essentially like someone saying I dance mm-hmm. because there's so many ways that people are doing this. Yeah. As we've been talking, four more forms have been created. You know, two new improvisers have been born that are now like wanting to do a radio show format. I saw a radio show format in space recently at a festival and it was freaking great. Mm-hmm. It's like, thank you for improvising a radio show format in space. Um, you know, or, or the beauty of going to, you know, the Del Close Marathon, where you just see one version after another of like, let's improvise a fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's be people who uh, get stranded on a desert island and we're going to improvise how we're going to get off of it. Like the ways in which to, to mold and shape and claim and, and grow this thing like, do you jitterbug or do you tap dance? Mm-hmm. Are you doing freestyle, you know, uh, uh, break dancing? Now, is that in your basement on a piece of cardboard or is that in Central Park? Like, mm-hmm. how, are, how are you building this thing? And so to, to keep it open enough that people remember that they're not trying to become something necessarily that already exists. What I'm, as, as a teacher, I'm doing is supporting their growth into their own improviser. That's so great. And that... It's beyond just who they are personally, but it's what does that personal piece inspire in how they want to put the work into the world? Yeah, yeah. There, it, um, uh, uh, Jean Renoir. I'm getting so quotey, uh, but uh, uh, he talked about his function as a movie director, working with actors. He described himself as being like a midwife, and his job mm. was to just recognize what's inside this person that maybe they don't even realize mm-hmm. and just sort of help them 
give birth to it. Mm-hmm. So I love that, that it's not about making you into what already exists. Mm-mm. It's about seeing what doesn't exist. It's about seeing what we don't have yet that you're bringing to it and just kind of helping you maybe cut away some of the crap that's blocking it. Mm-hmm. And help you kind of see what's already... That's why you can never answer those questions when people have like the chronic question syndrome, mm. where they they won't accept a note or an idea until they first see how it's applicable in every single situation. Huh. And it, it, I don't know if you get this, but it, you, sometimes there's the person in class who's always, yeah, but what about in this case? But what do you do in this case? Right. But what about... Right. There's, I don't know. What right. do you do? I have no idea. Right. You tell me. Right. You have to do it first, and then I'll be able to tell you right. what you just did. Right. Right. And that... It's a completely subjective situation. Yeah. So, in fact, uh, you may enjoy something that I really don't enjoy. Yeah. So, if a particular move or style or you know uh, way of behaving in your in your scene work inspires you, then run with that. Right. And that that my you know I, I, as a teacher, I am just one more set of preferences and opinions of what resonates with me. And that's huge for me. I mean, I've really, uh, the way that I improvise and the way that I want to see improv and what, what resonates with me, what matters to me as a player and a, and an audience member, uh, gets more and more specific. And there's also, I, I, I leave space for whatever anyone else wants to do as long as they're doing it. Um, Okay, like so, um, someone took me to a, a Trent Reznor, you know, concert. It was the last night of some Nine Inch Nails farewell thing. Not my genre. I was super aware that I was watching the quintessence. Like there was so much commitment and connection in that room and on that stage of those people doing that thing. So even though it's not music that I'm going to go home and listen to, I so appreciated that. Um embracing of that particular style mm-hmm. by those people. I feel that way about improv too, so that I may dig ballet and you may dig people running around naked uh, in Brooklyn in a, in a warehouse dance experience. And we can, I can appreciate both of them, but I do have a sort of improv home. Mm-hmm. So may we all discover our own improv home and may we all notice when it changes it's like, oh, I dug short form, super fun, super funny, uh, you know, uh, going for like super gamey, yummy uh, costumes, props was really fun for a while. And then my interest started moving more toward more theatrical, you know, less, you know, uh, slower, more connected to person. I, you know, for a while I love improvising with 12 people. Now I love improvising with two people. You know, it just it being it being fluid and everyone's right. If you, if you're into it, that's your style. Mm. And I don't get to tell you otherwise, except that it's not what I'm into or that it is what I'm into. But this idea that there's something that there's a right, uh, denies the fact that it's an art form. Right. Yeah. So that's exciting. I mean, I, I always want people to stay in that place of like, while you're in class and while you're seeing shows, please notice what lights you up. Like, what 
what looks juicy, what looks fun, what's that piece that goes, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. And as importantly, maybe more importantly, what are those moments where you go, uh-uh, no, yuck, no, that did not work for me. Yeah. Whatever that is. Oh, I didn't like how she shut him down, yeah. how yeah. she won't let him speak because she's scolding him and she yeah. won't let him get in. Or that moment, like I don't like that they create an environment that they completely uh, surrendered now. Or I don't like that they keep taking me to, you know, I, I like, I want this uh, to be in a place I recognize. Why do they keep taking me to space or inside a clamshell or underneath uh, someone's desk mm-hmm. as a piece of gum? Like I want, whatever, you know, it's a, may we use our exposure to all this improv to help, help us discover what makes sense for us. Yeah. Rachel Hamilton, thank you for talking. Woo! Pleasure, Lewis. I'm going to shake your hand now. Oh, you're right here live oh, on nice, radio. Nice, nice. Yeah, We're handshaking. Yeah, yeah. yes. handshaking. This has been the Magnet Podcast. We've been talking to Rachel Hamilton. Uh, a couple big thanks. Big thank you to Willie Appleman, to Grant Goldberg, our engineer, and to you guys, the listener. Uh, if you're curious about who we are and what we do, please check us out online, magnettheater.com, for information on uh, uh, on our wonderful classes and improvisation, sketch comedy, musical improv, storytelling, and all of our wonderful shows seven nights a week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, uh, have a good one, man. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast. 